Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 287. Let me be you. I'm going to show you how I would talk about your work. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue and welcome to today's episode. Being that it's now October, that means all eyes are on holiday sales. Black Friday is only a few weeks off and in the past, that's what's kicked off the shopping season. I'm sure you've seen that that's changed over the years, and this year more than ever. I don't know about you, but I'm already well into buying my holiday gifts. All reports are pointing to this being the biggest online holiday sales season ever. And if you're still waiting and thinking about turning your handmade products into income, it's actually not too late to get started and make some extra holiday money through Facebook shops. Listen, you don't need a website, shopping cart, or any of that yet. It's the perfect place to begin and test the waters, if you will, with selling your products. Check out my Set Up and Sell in Facebook Shops program to make this happen. I take you through step-by-step how to get your shop up and running, and then how to attract people to buy from you. But time is running out to gain traction for the holidays, so stop this podcast, give you permission, and sign up now. giftbizunwrappedcom forward slash Facebook shops is the link to go to to learn more. Moving into our topic for today. Now, e-commerce is one thing. But there is still nothing like being in person, connecting one-on-one, face-to-face with your customers. Yes, we've been challenged this year with making that happen. But we've been inventive. Despite the odds, you found ways that you could do it. Today, I want to introduce you to a woman who's been producing in-person events for 37 years. Let's just say she's a top-notch pro. We're going to be talking all about in-person shows, what makes for a good exhibitor, tips on how to best display your products, and more. Make sure to stay until the end because Amy reviews what Art Zipper is all about. Never heard of it before? Stay tuned. Let's get into the show. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Amy Amdor, the founder of Amdor Productions. Over the last three decades, Amber Productions has produced hundreds of art shows, fairs, and festivals, and has worked with thousands of artists. These events, approximately 20 a year throughout the greater Chicago area, give artists and makers a place to show and sell their work. Amber Productions also runs free online art seminars covering all aspects of showing and selling art, both in person and online. This is combined with ArtZipper.com, an e-commerce site where artists and art makers can show and sell their work 365 days a year. Amy, welcome to the Gift Bism Wrapped Podcast. Sue, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be with you and your listeners today. I am thrilled that you're here, and I've actually had you in the back of my mind for a while. I've really wanted to get you on the show, so I'm glad we're doing it today. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. We're going to start off with a question that's become a tradition here, and that is to have you describe yourself by way of a motivational candle. So if you were to think of a candle by color and quote that would speak to who you are, what would your candle look like? This might be a kind of -of out-of-the-box answer to that. But my candle would be clear. It would be, there's an artist who does our shows, Greg Sabansky. He's a candle maker. And he creates these beautiful, clear candles. So my candle would be clear because when the flame of the candle is lit, there's this this luminescence to the candle itself. And I love that you can also see the world through the candle but it's just brighter. So it's kind of a metaphor for me that that candle would just kind of light up everything that I looked at. 
And the quote, I think it would say lead by example. I really take that to heart, not only in my business life, but also as a mother. I have two children. And I always try to lead by example, because I think that is really the strongest way to set an example for other people. So don't follow what I say, follow what I do type thing. Exactly. So I have to tell you, I have two of his candles. Oh, (laughs) I love them. And they're not cheap. I know. But they're so pretty. They are beautiful. And he, to me, epitomizes something really special about an artist that he is always creating something new. And as artists and art makers, we may know what sells. And that's okay. It's good to have what sells. It's also good to challenge yourself and be open to creating something brand new from time to time. Agreed. 100%. Did you like art ever since you were a little girl? Or how did you gravitate into the whole art show? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a really funny story. And it's a true story. And when I was little, when I was about four years old, my mom, we grew up in Highland Park, used to go to the grocery store and she went to the butcher and then she went to a dairy store where she got milk and cheese and things like that. And I would go with her because this was a long time ago. And I would just, I'd, she'd schlep me everywhere and I'd go. So when she would go to the dairy store, I used to stand outside because it was a kinder, gentler time and five-year-olds could just be left outside. And I would look in through the door of an art school that was right next to the dairy store. So if I knew my mom was going to the dairy store, I always wanted to go. And I would watch the people paint on easels. I loved the smell of the paint. It must have been oil paint and turpentine. I loved it. And I would just stand there mesmerized until she would call me to go back to the car. The summer I was five turning six, I convinced my mom to let me take painting classes. And my mom, God bless her, she found a place in Highland Park. And I was enrolled in real painting school. There were kids classes. And our very first day was, it was all plein air, you know, painting outside. And our first day was going to the Highland Park Beach. And my first painting was of sand, water, and a single sailboat. And I still have that painting. And what I did after I painted the sand, I took actual sand and I pressed it on where the sand should be. That was my first painting. Oh, that's adorable. So I've loved making art since I was little, and it's just stayed with me my whole life. That's really interesting. In doing this podcast now for all five years, over five years at this point, I like asking this question just to see how people have come to what they're doing now. And so often, it's something that was started in their childhood, either cooking with a grandmother or just the love of the outside and flowers or to your point, painting. It's amazing how some of those childhood memories and like that, to me, it feels like that's your soul. Because when you're a child, you're so innocent, right? It's your pure love of things that come out. Exactly, right? There's no ulterior motive. Right. And you were able to turn it into a whole career. So how cool is that? Yeah, and I never knew that was going to happen. Seriously, I went to school. I was a dancer and a choreographer. And I did make art, of course, you know, while I was in college and took art classes as well. But I wasn't an art major. In fact, I was a social policy major in the College of Arts and Sciences. I went to Northwestern. But I also went to the School of the Art Institute where I took studio classes. So it wasn't until I was working and I was working with my dad. My dad was a real estate developer and he was redeveloping downtown Highland Park. And so I was there wearing a little suit every day going into the office. This is when I've been doing this for a long time. So this is a long time ago. And when we were getting ready to open up this project, which is called Port Clinton Square in downtown Highland Park, I said to my dad and to his partners, what are we going to do for a grand opening? And they said, you handle it. So there I was, pretty much fresh out of college, given the job of creating a grand opening for a shopping center in a downtown. And so I thought I needed something that was going to bring people to this brand new place and give them some reason to walk around and kind of investigate all the twists and turns of this new shopping center. And I thought of painting footsteps down on the ground, follow the footsteps, and I thought that was kind of lame. And then I had this idea that if I had artists 
and I had art booths set up in different places, people would go from art booth to art booth. And I had always loved art shows ever since I was little. I never thought of doing one myself, but it just came to me that this would be a great thing to do. So I talked to a family friend, her name is Rita Price, who I knew was an artist and a printmaker, and she did art shows. And she told me what doing a juried show meant and how to get artists. And she gave me some basics from her perspective. And that became my very first art show called the Poor Clinton Art Festival. And we started with 40 artists, and that was 37 years ago. So that freaks me out because I remember when Port Clinton started. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> and to think that it's that long ago yeah. is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. That is crazy. And at that time, because I wasn't involved in the craft and art and handmade community yet, but at that time, were there other shows going on like there are now? Or was it kind of a random event that would pop up here and there? Well, all I remember from growing up, there was a show at Old Orchard, the shopping center. And I remember a show in Lake Forest. Those are the only ones I remember as a kid. But then there were shows going on at that time, like the Gold Coast Art Fair and the Old Town Art Festival, I think, was going on. But art festivals were not as plentiful as they are now. And it was kind of a different time. The idea of going to events and outdoor events wasn't as popular as it has become. And were they juried shows right from the beginning? Well, my show, I juried from the very beginning. And I have to tell you that until this lady, Rita Price, told me what jury was, I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> but I did look and I did do something called jurying, which for listeners, especially the new listeners, what that means is that you have a group of people of art professionals who look at the work and then give points is typically how it's done, assign points to artists, and then the people with the highest scores are the ones invited in. So I did it from the very beginning. And now most of our shows are juried, and we typically ask for four images of the work and one of what the display would look like. And even when we do our made, our indoor art maker shows that we hold usually in the winter, we still do it. Some people may say, well, why do you jury a show? And it's just to have a sense of what the art's going to look like and why the display or booth, booth shot is just to understand the kind of space needs someone's going to need. And when I'm actually laying out the show, I want to make sure that it makes sense to put one artist after the other. So I wouldn't necessarily put two jewelers next to each other. I'd probably go jeweler and then maybe a weaver and maybe someone who's working in ceramics. And, and mix it up and want there to be a nice variety. And I want people to really stand out at the same time. So that's what jurying is. And that's why that the display or the booth shot's important. Yeah. And that makes it a really rich experience for both the exhibitor and then the person going through, the attendee of the show. Right. And why it's really important, Sue, is that ultimately my goal is that artists sell. Our company is based on the mission statement that we give artists a chance to show and sell their work at the events that we create. So ultimately, I want artists to sell. And we don't take a percentage. That's not our formula. But I know that the better the artists do, the better the show is going to be for everybody. Yeah. It's really gratifying to me. We just did a show in Barrington this past weekend. And we did an art walk. And I love hearing that the artists tell me, oh, this is my best show ever, which I heard a lot of this past weekend. And given the times we're in, that means even more, because I know that that's going to help the artists pay their mortgage, put food on the table, take care of their bills. And while not all artists are doing art full time, there's some people who have a full time job and kind of do this as a gig. But there are more and more people who are trying to make art their full-time living. And I want to be able to give people a chance to, to do as well as possible at the shows that we run. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about specific shows today, but I want to do that in a couple of minutes. But I am just going to say this here because we started talking about it a little bit. In the show that I just attended a couple of weeks ago, I was asking some of the artists how they felt the show was going, given the situation we have here and all, and every single one of them said they were doing really well. So that's a little feedback for you. <laughs> that's great. I'm so happy. But two questions I'm thinking about for juried shows. Does it cost more to go into a juried show? Well, typically there is a jury fee associated with a show. 
And it depends on the show what the fees are. So like when we were doing these little Wrigleyville art markets, I think it was $10 to jury in that show. And what that does, it covers the cost to a third party who we use, who is like a third party portal for the jurying. There are two big companies who do the jurying, who you work through. One is called Juried Art Services. That's Juried Art Services. And the other one is Application. And they both charge. The jury fees actually go to pay the third party portal, as well as the fees associated with running the jury. So some of the other shows are a little bit more, and it just depends what the jury fee is. But there is typically a jury fee to cover those costs. Okay. And then there are also awards associated. We do awards. I really like awards on a regular year when we have a full normal show. We like to do awards. And I'll tell you, it again comes back to the idea of helping artists sell. I have found that there are times that the public is a little undecided if they're going to buy something or not. And when they see that award ribbon up in that artist booth, it kind of is an endorsement that this is someone who's really worthwhile. And I've seen it help sales. And it also, we want artists and art makers to receive recognition from their peers and to know, hey, you're one of the top dogs in this show. When you're working all the time by yourself, like art makers do, they're usually loners, you come to the shows, and it is really nice to be recognized for what you're doing. So that's another reason I like giving out the awards. I agree with you. I'm smiling over here as you're saying that. Uh And I also think it's really nice for an artist then to be able to go back and put that on their website or talk about it in some way. They've been recognized by a jury of their peers, right? Like professionally. Exactly. So from an organizer standpoint, what makes a good exhibitor? That's a great question. I have a lot of years of experience to call on in answering this. What makes a good exhibitor is someone who is open to coaching. And after I've been running art shows and art fairs for about, oh, I don't know, 15 plus years, I'd seen thousands of artists, I'd seen, I've probably seen millions of images, whether in the old days, they were actually 35 millimeter slides. Now, of course, they're all electronic images. But I've seen a lot of images. And I try and draw on that to coach people to things that I know that work and do a lot of free webinars. I'll be doing them this winter in the off season to coach people on those very principles. So for example, I could say, to somebody, your images are great, but you would do better if you had four images of your work that relate to each other. So a good exhibitor is someone who's kind of open to that coaching and listening. They may or may not do it, but who's open to it. And at our events, I try to go and I do, I go booth to booth, spend time with every single artist and coach them on the best way to not only show their work, but how to talk through and sell the work. Because that's something you don't learn in art school or in art class. So the ability to sell is something that usually has to be learned and to know how to talk about your work. And even this past weekend, we had this wonderful new photographer at the show and her work was spectacular, but she really didn't know how to talk about it to the public. So I said, her name's Nishama. I said, Nishama, let me be you. I'm going to show you how I would talk about your work. And, you know, so I like coaching people to get them to the next place. Again, it's ultimately so they have success. So someone who's open, I think of a photographer, Mark Hirsch, he's a photographer, he takes an old image, an old archival photograph, and then he'll go to the same point, and he'll re-photograph it. So think of Michigan Avenue, he has an old photograph of Michigan Avenue, a new photograph of Michigan Avenue, and then he blends them together. So it's old and new at the same time. When he came to us two years ago, wanting to do art shows. He knew nothing, but he was so open to coaching. He's now doing very well. He was open to ideas and that's really important. So let me summarize here and make sure I'm capturing what you're saying. So the two overall themes you've talked about, the way you're representing your product with booth development and display. Correct. And then also how you're talking with customers about what you make. Exactly. They're really important. You can have great work, but if you don't show it the right way or talk about it the right way, you're not going to reach the same levels of success. When I say success, I mean, generally people are doing this to make money. And while that's not the only reason people make art, really, my dad used to say farmers would rather plant than leave their fields unplanted. 
because the idea is that artists are passionate about making their art, whether they're painter, doing wearables, making candles, you know, making body products, pampering products. The people who we come across, the artists, the crafters, the makers, they are passionate about this. This is what they love. The crocheters, they love to crochet and the knitters love to knit. The weavers, just thinking about someone I know who's a weaver, she is happy as all get out, putting eight to 10 hours a day at her big floor loom. And this is what people are passionate about. So I just try to help them go from there to the highest level of success that I think that they can have by helping them with showing and the actual selling of their work. It brings up a thought to me that I agree with you. People are so passionate about what they're making and their happiest place usually is in their creative studio with whatever that encompasses. Exactly. It's not necessarily out at shows talking with people. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. And a lot of artists tend to be introverts and they express themselves through their art. So it's easier for some people and it's a lot harder for some others. But I have found over the years that as long as they're open to it, everyone can learn how to show and sell their work. Absolutely. So we give our listeners something tangible to take away. Could you share with us a few mistakes that you've seen that could be advice for people who are doing not some of these upscale juried shows, but even local craft shows or farmers markets or church bazaars even? What mistakes have you seen from the exhibiting end that you would advise people to watch out for? So I sum that up in three words. Reduce the variables. Reduce the variables. So we want the attention to be totally on whether it's candles or ceramics or jewelry, whatever they have, whether it's a table, a, you know, eight foot table or a 10 by 10 booth, it doesn't matter. So how do you reduce the variables? Well, I'd say wear something that's not calling attention to itself. So if you have a shirt and it's a Green Bay Packers shirt and you're in Chicago, this would be taking too much attention away from what you're doing. Oh, yes, it would. <laughs> Now, and I see this mistake made in variations all the time. So I'd say, so reduce the variables. Let's get rid of that. Let's just have a solid color shirt or a solid color dress, or certainly if you're making clothing, wear something of yours. So that's one reduction in variables. Another is someone who, let's say it's a eight foot table that you have to work with and you're a jeweler, try and have a cohesive body of work You don't have to show everything in the world. Try and have work that relates to each other. You know, when the public is going from tent to tent or booth to booth or table to table, it's a lot of visual stimulation. So if you can have a cohesive body of work, it will help the public focus on your work. So that's really huge. And another way to think about this, and I say, and this applies to a jury situation, but if you were to give me four photographs of your work, and let's say I had 50 artists, and I was to shuffle up everybody's cards, and I threw them up in the air and fell down, I should be able to put back the packs together so that I know, like Sue, if you were a jeweler, you know, that I would find your work and that it's cohesive enough that it fits together by design or by material, that there's something that connects. Greg Sabansky, who we mentioned earlier, the candle maker, his work, obviously, these clear candles with different things set in, you know, his work would fall together. So reducing the variables is a basic one of my 10 commandments. Did you say there were three? Yeah, well, so that's one of them. You said the Packer shirt, and then also the display, cohesive display. Yeah, cohesive display. So the display is important. And how you display also will help you sell better. So putting some time and attention into your display is really important. And so here comes the next big thing, that details matter. Details matter how you price your work, where you put the price tags, how you do these little details is important. And how you show your work is important. So details matter. So let's say you have jewelry and you have an eight-foot table that you're showing and selling off of. Well, let's start off with a good base, a good foundation. I like a black fitted table skirt that goes down to the ground. And why I like that, whether you're in an indoor church show, for example, or outdoor on a street show, gives you a place to hide things. When you have a fitted table skirt and they cost like 12 or 15 bucks, you can get them online, fits around the table, goes down, you can hide things underneath, put your back stock underneath, and it gives you a good foundation then for whatever you might do on top. 
And it's also really practical because when you have a black tablecloth, for example, you can just throw it in the wash and perfect the next time it doesn't get dirty. So looking at the components of your display, and of course, it gets more complicated as you get into a bigger space like a 10 by 10. But still, that's a basic to me is having fitted table covers. How do you feel about the display items? So not the artwork, but like using a crate or the props. So the props are great, but we have to make sure, just like the Packer shirt, that it doesn't take attention away. And I've seen sometimes where the props are, unfortunately, the thing that gets the attention. So your props should be there to show off the work, but should really not get too much attention themselves. So if you're going to have props, let's say they're all going to be weathered wood, for example, make them all weathered wood. Oftentimes, people have too many different types of props. I've seen jewelers have black stands, white stands, some velvet stands, some other things, and it's such a jumble. But if we reduce the variables, and if we have, let's just say all the props are going to be black, or they're all going to be white, just pick a color and just have consistency in your props. That's a really, really good move. But again, you will know if people are commenting more on your props than on your art, then you know that it's time to reduce the variables and dial that one down a little bit. Yeah, I always say that you need to make your product the star. Absolutely. So that is a mistake that a lot of people make. I see it time and time again. And it's not that the artist isn't, art maker isn't trying. They're trying. They're trying too hard, maybe. Well, we just need to kind of do a little redirect on that. What would you say, this is a challenge that I know a lot of people who are listening right now have. They make a lot of things. They're a creator and maybe they're making things that are disconnected. So perhaps they're customized ornaments, but they also knit. And by the way, they also do pottery. Hear Amy's answer to this question right after a quick break. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. This is a really good question. So if you're in a space like a 10 by 10 tent, you have the luxury of that kind of space, then separate things. So have one area is going to be your knitting, another is your ceramics, and another would be whatever else you do. I think that that works really well because not everyone may like all those things. So maybe someone's just really looking for ceramics. They're going to easily hone in on your ceramics and focus there. And you'll ultimately sell more that way as well. So just separate. And if you're working off an eight-foot table, separate them as much as you can in different sections of the tabletop. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the season that we're in right now where we still have the virus to contend with. Now, there'll be people who will be listening to this after that, but I really want to talk to the current situation because I'm a proponent, Amy, of live, being able to see people in person, especially artists, because that's what connects you so much to the art and potentially making a purchase. You know the artist, you love the artist, you learn about their story, and so you first off, want to support them, you're willing to pay more, and you get a piece that's one of a kind, and you have a story that you can bring forward about the product and the artist and all of that. But people have concerns about the shows these days. And as I was telling you in our pre-chat, I wanted to come to one of your shows, first of all, because I know you're professional with this, but I wanted to share the experience with everybody just to understand how a show could work during this time to get people to feel comfortable that maybe they would want to exhibit right now too. So can you share with us a little bit about what happened to you because your whole livelihood are these productions? Well, a lot of it, a good portion of it. But how did that evolve to what I saw a couple of weeks ago, which was a fabulous event? Well, 
COVID. And I look forward to people listening to this in the future and not really knowing what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I hope it's just a distant memory. But for those of us who in 2020 are living through this summer of COVID, it's been very difficult. And we've dealt with typically like our Poor Clinton show in Highland Park or a Gold Coast Art Fair in Chicago feature more than 250 up to 300 exhibitors. So now we had to pivot because Governor Pritzker has mandated how many people can be at a gathering and we have to think about life safety. So what we did is we created a series of events called art walks that would happen outside because we know that when you're out in the air, studies are showing that that's healthier environment than being indoors. So we decided all of our art walks would be outdoors. And then we worked with different municipalities to find out what their comfort level was on size. So in some communities, it was 25 exhibitors, and in some it was 50. In some places, they said 25 people in at a time, public coming in to see, and in some places, they said 50. So working with all the different rules, we created these art-only events that did not have food or beverages for sale didn't have live music, which we usually always have, didn't have a youth art area. So they were art-only events where the public would come in and they would need a timed reservation. And we used a system called eventbrite.com. So people would have a timed reservation hour that they could come in. We took people's temperatures and we're still doing this protocol now. We take their temperatures when they walk in. And then we set a unidirectional, like a single path that people follow so that all the people are walking in the same direction. We indicate that with arrows and signage. And then we put each exhibit, each booth, we spaced it at least 10 feet, 12 feet, sometimes 15 feet from each other so that there was nice spacing. And we call these events artful, mindful, socially distanced events. And we've done five so far this summer. We have three more still to go. We've got coming up in October, we have Bayshore, which is in Wisconsin, And then we have Wheaton in Illinois, and we have closed the season with Glencoe, Illinois. And we also have hand sanitizer stations all over the place, and artists have hand sanitizer. And artists are asked to do as much cashless transaction as they can to avoid touching cash and to have transfer tables. So if someone buys it, that you just set it down on the table and the public picks it up from there. We actually have 49 points to our COVID plan, and this is to keep the artists my staff and the public as safe as we possibly can. So it's been a time of real trailblazing, I can tell you. Yeah. I also found it interesting only one person or one family group could be in a booth at a time. So if there was walk-in. Exactly. You could be in there. And then if you were with another person, for example, you guys could be in there together, talk to the artist if the artist was also in there. But then anyone else who wanted to come in would have to wait. Exactly. So I thought that was really smart. And I also felt just observation wise, Amy, you'll have to tell me if this is indeed true. But I felt like some of the booth setups were a little bit different. Like I was talking to one person, an artist who you could walk into the front of their booth, but they also had things on the side. So people who needed to wait didn't just pass them up and go to another booth. They could look on the outside when normally those would have all been inside the booth. Exactly. So by spacing the artists with 10 to 12 or more feet between them, it gives especially 2D artists the chance to show their work on their outside walls. Or a jeweler, I think of Dana Reed, she's a jeweler out of Highland Park. She did a really nice three counter setup so people could come up from the front or each side. And no one actually walked into her booth. And it was really good. It was open air, lots of air circulation. She had a back wall only. And it gave her three selling sides so she could have one person on one side, someone unrelated on the other. So she was actually able to have, you know, three different groups looking at her work at any given time. Mm -hmm. And is that different than what she would normally do? Yes, it is. And so we've seen a lot of that. And it actually gives the artist, uh, the art maker, more display space as well. Because if you're in a tight show and you're wall to wall with the next artist, you have no choices. So here, those people who wanted to be able to have triple counters, or I even saw there's someone named Dan Hedblum, he works on copper. And he did something similar where he was showing his work on the outsides. And what he did in the middle of his booth is that's where he had his storage. 
but it was behind panels, so you couldn't even see it. So some really creative solutions to this. Yeah, definitely. A couple other things, just in terms of the experience that I've heard both from your show and then also from my community, some of the people who are here who are doing shows right now. First is that it's kind of nice because there's more of an even flow of people coming through because you're only letting a certain number of people in at a time. So for an exhibitor, it's just paced nicely. They're always busy. There aren't the lags, but there's a nice flow of conversation from start to finish of the show. Exactly. And we saw that starting early in the season when we started doing these art walks, and especially at those events where people had to wait in line until our capacity went down, we have to wait for a few people to leave before we let more people in, is that instead of just walking through the show or walking down the middle of the show, people actually looked at every single exhibit. And I thought that was just great. And so what artists are telling me is even though the crowds are not the same sizes, not as large as what they've been in the past, it seems to be a more qualified group of people coming in who really want to look at art. And you know, we've been messaging the public that this is the time it's very important to support art makers. And it is. It's always important to support art makers, but it's more important now than ever. I look at artists and art makers as micro businesses. And when I say that, they are a business. They may be working from their studio or their spare room or their basement. It doesn't matter where, but they are making art and they are selling it. And there are a lot of programs that are out there, not a lot, but there are some programs out there to support small business, but not all micro businesses are being supported. So we've been messaging to the public that this is a really important time to support art makers. And I believe that's true. And I, I think we see sales artists are reporting to me that they are selling very well right now at shows. And I'm so happy about that. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. That's a delicate question for me to ask someone I don't know. So I wasn't really asking a lot of people at your show. But what I've heard from my community is the feeling is that a lot of people are going with the intention of buying or they're not really planning to go. You know how sometimes art shows are something to do in the afternoon because it's available and it's in my downtown or the community right next door. But there are more, you used the word qualified earlier, the intention is more to purchase than just to browse. Exactly. They are making the same, if not more money, with fewer people walking the shows. I think that is absolutely true right now. So happy about that. Yes. And what are you thinking? I know we can't project the future, but how are you feeling in terms of when we get the vaccine and all of that? What do you think the future is of shows? Well, it's funny. We had a staff meeting this morning and I was talking about it. We are planning a regular season in 2021, and we are hoping for the best. We also know how to run these smaller streamlined art walks if we need to, but we are putting our 2021 schedule together now, and we are hoping for normal a return to normal life, especially with the outdoor shows. I love hearing that from you. You don't think it'll be a hybrid, a little bit between both? Well, it may be. And something that we're doing, and we've launched this a few years ago, is we have launched artzipper.com. And what artzipper.com is, is our e-commerce platform. And it kind of rides along with the shows. And this year, when we couldn't run the Gold Coast Art Fair, which was really sad because that show is such a kind of landmark in the world of art. And it was the 63rd annual event this year. When we couldn't do it, we ran the Gold Coast virtually. And we ran it on our ArtZipper platform. So ArtZipper is, and if you think of other art commerce sites like Etsy, for example, it's the same idea, except it's a little different. And with our virtual festival, we wanted to give the public a chance to experience artists and you could Zoom with an artist. So you could talk to them and you could watch art demos live. And it was really exciting. It wasn't an in-person show. And I agree with you that in-person is exciting and you get to, the public gets to have a relationship and hear the artists talk about their process. We tried to replicate it with the Gold Coast virtual site. ArtZipper site does, it's free. There's no cost for artists, art makers, or makers of any, when we talk about beauty and bath and then that category, there's no charge. There's a commission that goes back to the site to keep it going. But we wanted to really promote that now because there are also artists who may have health situations which don't allow them to be out in public right now. 
And we're trying to think really broadly about how can we provide opportunities for everybody. So our artzipper.com site is an e-commerce platform for everybody. And so that's something else that we have and that we're going to continue to work on and fine tune and develop as we go forward. So the future, I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did, but I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic and have some backup plans in my pocket in case we need them. Yeah, I'm right with you. And I think if this hasn't shown us anything, it's how much just as a human, you want contact with people. Now that we can't have it, we're seeing that we want it. Absolutely. And I think that here, especially in the Northern climates like us, summer, we live for summer. And maybe we hibernate a little bit in the winter, watch a little bit more TV or do what we need to. But winter is also a great time for art makers to be creating. And during the early parts of the quarantine, I said, be creative. This is a time to be creative. So looking forward to it. And we will figure it out together. And you're right, the public has as much a need to see art as the artists have to make it. Art soothes the soul. And we're going through a hard time. And art will continue to be part of our healing. Yes, I agree with that totally. I know that there are going to be questions from my audience about Art Zipper. Can you go into it just a little bit? If there was somebody here who's like, hmm, I wonder if my product should be there. What should they do to check it out? Walk me through a little bit of how that works. Okay, so well, all you have to do just to see the site is go to artzipper.com. And you'll see there on the homepage that we have all these different categories that you can be in. And in fact, I'm just going to do that while I'm talking to you. So we have a category called wall art. So that's pretty much anything that can go on a wall, 2D or 3D. Jewelry, we have a sculpture category, objects. So a lot of people fall into objects, especially crafters and makers. We have a section on glass, wearables. And then each of those categories has drop downs. So if you don't see where category fits in, I mean, we even have a category called paperweights, platters and plates and objects, floor rugs, toys, candles and soaps, mixed media is always for someone who doesn't know where they go. I say mixed media is a place to go. But you can always just email us info at artzipper.com. And we're happy to get back to you. And I also do some webinars and I will this winter repeat and launch some new ones on how to be successful selling online. And that's a little different than selling live in person because your images have to do all the talking for you. So I talk about what makes for a good image. How does the image sell? And it's also when you're selling online, and a lot of people are looking at this as an option these days, your description and your title become really important because they're part of the way you're communicating this piece and also having really good quality images. So make sure that your lighting is good, that everything is in perfect focus so that it really communicates as best as possible the beauty of your pieces. Yes, we've talked a lot about this in terms of product names and descriptions, also as it applies to search. So all of that we've talked about before. Good. Another question on Art Zipper. I don't mean to keep belaboring the point, but I'm in the listener's head, so I know that they're going to be asking this. Sure. Do you then supply, if they were to come and show their product on Art Zipper, is there already a checkout system established? Oh, yeah. So it's a totally secure payment plan over the lines that we have. And then the Art Zipper site cuts a check to the artist within 30 days of the sale. So pretty turnkey in that respect. It's turnkey, and a lot of people are using it now because we are marketing it all the time, and we're doing heavy marketing for holiday this year, heavier than usual, just because we want artists and art makers to sell really well this holiday season. Probably marketed heavier than someone could market their own website. So of course, artists should have their own website, but the advantage of being on a site like ArtZipper is that you're benefiting from the size of it and, and all the marketing that's going into it. I'm so glad that you talked about this in terms of Art Zipper being an option for people. In addition to a website, we're also now talking Facebook shops a lot here. And just because you have one online presence doesn't mean that you won't have several because audiences all come from different places. 
So having multiple options coming in, your same product, but you're presenting it and representing it in multiple places is only going to make you stronger as a business. So Gift Biz listeners, if you think that this is something that could work for you, please go over. The site is beautiful. So go over, look around, maybe support a fellow artist. And if you're interested, definitely reach out and see if it could work for you. Let's talk a little bit more on two things, Amy. First, what about your classes? Where can we learn about when those are available? Well, we're just putting together the class schedule for 2021, and it will be posted on our website, which is amderproductions.com. That's A-M-D, like David, U-R, then the word productions.com. They're usually Saturday mornings, and they're free. And all you have to do is sign up, and the sign up's super easy, just directly on our website. And there'll be everything from the how-tos, I call it ArtFest 101. We have pro level. We have selling online, images. I have an advanced selling course on how the things that you and I spoke about, Sue, how to really sell your work. And we even have figured out how to have a mock jury So if you want to know how would your images be seen by a jury, one of our webinars is just a mock jury. So you can hear comments from other listeners on what they think. And then I also identify tips on how you can take your images to the next level and actually indicate that through some computer magic using some special tools I have to show how things can be improved. So they're meant to be game changers and to shorten the learning curve. You know, a lot of times, the more you do shows, the more you figure it out. But right now, let's make it easy for people. So I want to pass on these tips and just get people, I want to teach them the tips. So we call them a lot of tips and tricks. Love it. Well, I'm intrigued already. (laughs) I'm sure our listeners are as well. Then amderproductions.com is also where you can see our schedule for 2021, which is the coming year. And we will be accepting applications and doing jury over the next few months. So even though it feels like just end of summer, it's actually the time to be thinking about next year. It will come before we know it and we'll be back into the season. And it's not just for local artists either. Even now with the restrictions that we have, Mm -hmm. I saw people from California, people from Florida. Exactly. Maybe New York, like all over. People from coast to coast come to our shows. And over the years, I think we've even had artists from Alaska and Hawaii come in for our shows. God bless them for that. And most of our shows have people who are from the Midwest. But you know, there are those people who do travel, and this is their lifestyle. And some of your listeners may be in that group. So you can be from anywhere to do our shows. I've also talked to some of the artists who are at your show who come here and they just stay for a month because when you're fully scheduled, not this summer, but hopefully next summer, then there's a show every single weekend almost. Well, there is. You're right. And we start in May and 2021 will be starting our lead show next summer will be the Northbrook Art in the Park. And then Barrington is Memorial Day weekend. And then we just flow through every week. We have a show or a fair and some of them are more fine art and some of them are more all encompassing. And there is a show for everybody, whether it's our promenade of art in Arlington Heights or Wheaton Art Walk or Valparaiso. We do that one in Indiana. All special shows. If you work in the botanic themes, the Chicago Botanic Garden Art Festival is for you because that show requires that the art be somehow related to botanic themes. So Bab Schnabel, someone I know, she actually works with dried flowers and presses them and puts them between glass. That would be, if you're like Babs, that would be a great show. Is that the one that's at Botanic Gardens? It is. Is that your show? Yes. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We do Whitefish Bay in Wisconsin. That's a good general show for everybody. Artfest Michigan Avenue, that's in July. We do a show in Glencoe, Art at the Glen, Printer's Row, which is this really cool area of Chicago. We do a show in Evanston, Lincolnshire, the big Gold Coast show I mentioned. Port Clinton is the Highland Park show. One of my favorite shows is the Third Ward Art Festival. It's in Milwaukee in what's called the historic Third Ward. We do the Millennium Show in Chicago. We do a show up north in Deer Park. Oak Brook, new this year and repeating in 2021, will be the Bayshore Art and Artisan Fair. That might be really good for your listeners. When you're a maker and you see Art and Artisan Fair, that is a code for saying, hey, everybody, whether you're a maker, you're doing wearables, candles, pampering products, that's a great show for you. 
And then a whole bunch of the ArtSmart seminars going pro, live image reviews, selling online, virtual art fest. We got something for everybody. Okay, gift biz listeners, I'm sure you did not catch all of that, but I did, and it's <laughs> over in the show notes. So just jump over to the podcast episode show notes for this show, and you'll have all the links. I'll have everything there ready for you, and you can see which show is best for you. I'll also have the link for Art Zipper, of course. So lots over in the show notes for this episode. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening and interesting to speak to you as the one behind the scenes and what we should be looking at. I really appreciate your expertise and sharing with us today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Sue. And if you or your listeners have any questions, you can always reach me at info at amderproductions.com. And I'm really happy to converse or email back and forth with people. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Wasn't it interesting to get insights into events from the organizer point of view? As I told you in the beginning, not many have the perspective Amy does, given all the years that she's been at it. And it's obvious that it's such a passion for her. You can hear her love and commitment to artists, even after so much time. Make sure to check out her free classes, Art Zipper, of course, and maybe, just maybe, one of her live events is for you. That would be really exciting because we'd possibly have a chance to meet in person, face-to-face, you and I. As you're doing this strategic planning, a final reminder to consider how Facebook shops could fit into the plan. Giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash Facebook shops is where to go if you want to know more about my mini course. $27. I mean, seriously, it's a no-brainer. On to my little teaser about next week. The hot topic, always this time of year, of course, the upcoming huge holiday selling season. Our eyes are on just that right now. Selling and making and shipping and all the things. Overwhelm and stress are part of that equation, too. Let's face it, most of us are exhausted by the time the holidays finally get here, barely able to even enjoy it. What if things could be different? What if you could bring in and fill all those orders and also be in the spirit of the season? So you can attend your parties or Zoom calls with excitement and anticipation versus exhaustion and one more thing on your to-do list. Cheers to that. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, please leave a rating and review. That means so much and helps the show get seen by more makers. A great way to pay it forward. And now, be safe and well. And I'll see you again next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today. Today.